You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, good morning, 1030. How are we doing so far? That's what I'm talking about, man. Well, man, we're glad you could make it to church today. And any day where you have nirvana in church, you're going to have a pretty decent day at church. Am I right about that? So, uh, you know, normally I get to joke around a little bit more, but because of the subject matter today, I'll have to try and stay a little more serious as best I can. And so why don't we go to the Lord and pray and ask Him to help us today because it's such a a touchy subject. Lord, we thank you for uh, all that you're doing in our lives and our church, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, if you would speak and move and work and heal and help us, and we need you. We're not all, we're not that church with all those people that have it all together, Lord, um, and so we pray that we, you, you would help us by your spirit to understand your word, to be healed of those deep wounds that are in our lives. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. Well, as I was preparing for this talk uh, on suicide, I couldn't help but think about the pain that we went through as a nation a couple of years ago when we lost Robin Williams. And I tend to think about, um, you know, when I was a little kid and I saw him on TV, you know, on that show Happy Days. And then as the years progressed, you know, I'd see him in all these different movies. One of my favorites was his rendition of Peter Pan. And then, of course, Miss Doubtfire and uh, What Dreams May Come and all the many different movies that he was in. I mean, this guy brought a lot of laughs and a lot of joy to a lot of people throughout our country. But I was thinking about his family, the victims left behind who are reeling from the pain of that suicide. And I uh, did a little reading on Susan Williams and all that she dealt with. And she recounts when she found out her husband uh, had killed himself, all the way there, she's screaming his name, Robin. And she finally gets there and she kneels down and she prays with him. And she says, Robin, I forgive you 50 billion percent. You're the bravest man I've ever known. Hurting. She says that she uh, the, she was hurting so much, the pain will never go away. She said, Robin's love was the best love I ever dreamed of. It's what I always dreamed love would be, really based on honor, love, and respect. Well, Robin Williams um, left us way too soon. And as Susan recounts her last conversation, some of you know that uh, when someone's taken their life, the family members always remember the last conversation, right? Remember the last interaction you had with the deceased. And what Susan talks about was the last night that she was with Robin, and he came into their room and said, Susan, would you like me to rub your feet before you go to sleep? And she said, no, that's okay, honey. And then he laughed, and he said, good night, my love. And Susan said, good night, my love. And I guess that was a good way to say farewell. Well, uh, the reason I bring some of this up is because I want to look at uh, what he was dealing with. He had a severe clinical depression, and his autopsy revealed that he had a condition called Lewy body dementia, which affects its victim's ability to make rational decisions. And I'm bringing that part up because I think that sometimes we oversimplify suicide situations and just say that the person was selfish or the person was taking the easy way out. But I think we have to understand the complexity of some of these situations and enter this subject with extreme humility because even the experts on this have to admit many times they don't know why it happened or how it could have been avoided. 
And in Robin Williams' case, many people came to him. He got all the help that was available, and he still made this decision. So much of our conversation today is going to be addressing those without clinical kinds of diagnosis. So if you're suspecting that you may have some type of clinical depression, I want to ask you to please get help. Please reach out. We have a counselor and psychiatrist referral list on our website at citychurchdowntown.com, and you can go there at any time uh, in order to get help. Um, so for the majority of you, you're not suicidal. You're just, you know, going on with your life and everything's all good right now. But God brought some of you here today to equip you to be able to serve those that are in your family and your friends that are hurting and are suicidal and are considering taking their own lives. And there's someone here today that God brought you here because you're thinking about it. You're considering suicide yourself. And God brought you here for a good purpose today to save your life, to breathe life into you, um, and to help you move on. Well, according to the World Health Organization, you're susceptible when four things are present in your life. Number one, when you're a victim, when you're a victim of violence or abuse. I would add to that a victim of chemical imbalance or cyberbullying or social media bullying that we're seeing more and more. You're also susceptible when you're winners. You're a high achiever. This is counterintuitive, but a lot of people have a heavy burden from their family placed on them to get great grades. There's nothing wrong with good grades, right? Um, some people have this heavy burden placed on them to have a certain level of job and a title and a certain income or live in a certain neighborhood. College students are at risk because they feel so much pressure to get top shelf grades. And I want to tell you, students, look at me for just a minute, middle and high school college students, um, I want you to do well in school. I want you to learn more than I want you to get good grades. But I want to tell you as your pastor that loves you that your life is way more important than your grade. And those of you who are younger professionals, your life is way more important to us here than your title or your income. And if you're thinking about taking your life, please don't. No title, no grade is worth your life. Even celebrities are at high risk. We have already talked about Robin Williams, but look at Kurt Cobain, and uh, he was very successful in music. And of course, Ernest Hemingway, who was a great author, and then actor Owen Wilson recently attempted suicide a few years ago, and by the grace of God, he's still with us. But you're susceptible even when you're a winner, when you're a victim, and also when you're losers. Losers who have lost something in life there are things that make you feel like a loser. In reality, you're not. Sometimes if you lose your job, you lose your self-esteem due to a moral failure, you committed a sin that you're not proud of, and guilt and shame are heaped upon you. Sometimes you've lost a relationship. When you're in the midst of a separation, you feel like you're not worthy of anyone's love, or when you've been divorced from someone, the thoughts come into your mind, hey, I, I'm just not lovable, so I may as well take my own life. Some high school guys deal with a breakup in a very heavy manner, and high school guys, you have a young lady break up with you, I want you to know it feels like the weight of the world right now. You feel this ultimate sense of rejection, but it will pass. It's a temporary pain. 
So how do people get to this place? Um, well, they're also users, users of alcohol and drugs. 30% of suicides involve alcohol abuse because it lowers our inhibitions and we make decisions that we normally wouldn't make. And I want to take you back and remind you of the toxic emotion charts because I think it comes into play here. We see that at the very core of our souls is a theological belief about who God is, and that affects everything else. We also see in the inner ring of our soul, outside our view of God, is sometimes an unhealed wound, um, a pain, a hurt, a pride, or fear. And these things cause us to engage in certain behaviors. And then the outer ring represents our behaviors. So sometimes when someone has an unmet need of unconditional acceptance from mom and dad, and they feel maybe mom and dad are not putting the pressure on kids, but sometimes kids feel this undue pressure to perform. And in the outer ring, that kid performs really well. But when, when something happens and that performance is messed up, it can jack with the kid. And so a kid will feel like, um, you know, and by the way, kids, we can't blame our stuff, our sins, and our mistakes on our parents, can we? We recognize that our parents influence our lives, but we can't blame our parents for the things that we do wrong. And those of us that are parents, it's a lot of pressure, isn't it? I know, I'm jacking up my kids right now, and they're going to be in need of some kind of counseling or recovery from um, being my kid, you know? But we can't blame our parents, but we know our parents influence us. And so... Um, when that kid feels this overwhelming sense that they have to perform and they don't meet that demand, um, then they can feel like they want to take their own lives. And then what we do is called transference. Transference is when you transfer on to God your, your, your view of acceptance and love that your parents had. So you felt like your parents didn't accept you, that dad didn't give you a pat on the back or mom didn't give you a pat on the back unless you got the good grades. And so you were performance-based love, right? And we transfer that to God, and we think that God only accepts and loves us if we get the grade or if we perform. But God is an unconditional lover. And when we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin, we're his children. And he unconditionally loves and accepts us no matter how much we perform or succeed in this life. And so some feel such a pain from these unmet needs or unhealed wounds that they take their own lives. But I want to submit one simple idea to you today. And it's simply this, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Now here in just a second, I'm going to point to you, and we're going to say that out loud together, but I want you to get this big idea, and here's why. I know you guys don't remember all my sermons, okay? You remember a few of the stories, but you don't remember a lot of the points. And that's why we boil it down to one big idea in our services. But you need to remember this, and here's why. Because someday you're going to be sitting with someone who is suicidal. There will not be time to call anybody at the church, and you're up to bat, and you have to be the church. You have to feel the empowerment to save a life. And here is your script right here. I want you to say it with me out loud when I point to you. Here we go. You ready? Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. When you're uh, dealing with someone that's hurting, here's what you say to them. When they say, I'm just, I, I don't have any hope left, I'm going to take my life, you're going to say, ready? 
Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Look, God loves you and I so much that he warns us about the spiritual battle that's taking place that's surfaced in John 10, 10. Remember it? That these purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose, Jesus says, is to give them rich and satisfying life. God, by, through Jesus Christ, gives us an enjoyable and satisfying life. Doesn't mean we don't go through problems. In this world, Jesus says, you'll have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. And many times where there is a suicide, there is a demon Look, I know some of you are new to church. That sounds kind of weird that we believe in literal demons, but at least you can believe that there's some dark aura or presence around those who are depressed to the point that they want to take their own lives. And we believe here that what the scriptures teach is that there are literal demonic spirits that are trying to cause people to take their own lives. And so what happens is, is that our spiritual enemy, Satan, and his demons will twist reality in our minds to get us to buy into the idea that taking our life is a good um, kind of direction to go. But here's what happens. It's when you believe in Christ, the Spirit of God comes to dwell inside of you and gives you the desire to lay down your life for humanity, to serve humanity. And the enemy will take a very good desire to lay down your life and twist it to say, take your life. Go with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25. Then Jesus says to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try and hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And so the way of Jesus is not hanging on to and tightly controlling your life. It is following him, obeying him, and giving him your life. When you tightly control, it leads to the ways of death. But when you release your life to God, it leads towards kingdom, joy, peace, and shalom, the Bible's word for peace there. So, here, we're calling you to this commitment to take up your personal cross. You have a cross to bear in this life. You have a burden to bear. And when people are suicidal, they try and hand off their burden to other people because they don't want to carry it. And Jesus calls you to lay down your very life. Now, look, some people, um, when you, like some of you come to City Church for the first time today, or maybe you've recently come here, and you've heard what people say. People say, yeah, I've been to that church. You know, and you know the people that say it are usually very religious people, okay, who would not fit into our church very well at all, okay? Um, and what, what happens is, is they'll say to you, you're going to city church? Well, it's one of those places. They just play this rock music or they play like, you know, music like that. And it's just entertainment down there. Well, lest you think we're just calling you here to be entertained, you need to look at Matthew 16, 24 again in the face in which Jesus says that if you're going to be his disciple, and this is the commitment we're calling you to here at this church, you take up your cross and you follow him, laying down your life for the sake of the gospel. Is that enough commitment for anyone? That's the commitment of following Jesus Christ, and that's what we're calling you to here and we like good music. But when you grow spiritually, you become what the Bible calls a living sacrifice. Let me take you to uh, change channels in your minds to Romans 12.1. Paul says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you 
to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And so those who commit suicide cannot give their lives because they selfishly sometimes take their lives. And there are some cases where suicide is a very selfish choice to hand that burden that God has given you to bear to the people that care about you and that love you. Remember, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Now, I want to correct some of the self-deceptions I've heard related to suicide over the years because I spent a lot of years working with teenagers and college students and younger people. And here's some of the things I heard in younger people as well as adults. And here's one of the first deceptions that the enemy will try and convince someone of when they're trying to commit suicide. And it is, I'll get a lot of attention. Like they've seen on television or online that someone, you know, some person killed themselves and they see how all these people rally around them and go to the funeral, go to the memorial service, and they'll think, man, that'll be me. I'll get all this attention. You won't be there to enjoy the attention. <laughs> That's foolishness. You won't get attention from it. And what you'll find is, is that people move on with their lives anyway. It is a lie. Here's another deception. People who are about to commit suicide think, well, I'm going to die anyway, so I may as well control how I'm going to do it. But that's a lie because what you do here on this earth does affect your afterlife and what's, hap what's, what's going to happen there. Other people think, well, I want to get back at someone by making them feel guilty, right? My dad put all that pressure on me to perform. I'll show him. I'll make him feel real bad when I kill myself and it'll make him look bad in front of everyone in the community. And then my mom, she put way too much pressure on me when I take my life. Boy, is she gonna feel, you think she feels guilt when she goes to mass? She really is gonna feel guilt when I kill myself. Or other young men, like some young lady breaks up with them and they're like, well, I'm gonna make that girl feel so bad that she didn't wanna date me and she broke up with me and broke my heart. She's gonna feel really bad and everybody at school is gonna think she's a jerk for breaking up with me and causing me to kill myself. But here's the thing. Again, you won't be there to enjoy all the pain that people are feeling that you were trying to get back at. Not only that, young men, but that little girl, if she's secure enough in herself, the girl that broke up with you, if she's secure in who she is, she'll know it was your issues that caused you to take your life, not her own. See? So it is a lie, a deception. Then others think, well, it'll end my suffering. Look, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, suicide will not be the end of your suffering. It will be the beginning of far worse suffering. And if you don't know Christ and you plunge into an eternity without Jesus, you will long for the days, two billion years from now, you will long for the days of your life back on earth when your suffering was minimal compared to a reality where God is completely taken out of the equation. And then believers who end up in heaven who have taken their own life, they will experience loss in the afterlife. Let me take you to 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. 
Paul says, but on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. And so it's like there are these eternal Rewards that we could have received, a great inheritance that we could have received, but we gave it up just to end a little bit of earthly suffering here in the present reality. Now, the story of suicide plays out in the Bible in two different characters that I want to show you today. One is Judas, and the other is Peter. Now, both of these men were a part of the 12 disciples that rolled with Jesus while he was here on earth. They saw him do miracles. They saw him heal people. They saw him even raise people from the dead. And so they both had the same advantages in life, and they literally got to see Jesus while he walked upon the earth. But at the Last Supper, Remember suicide victims always, or when we think about suicide, we think of the family and the last conversation that they had, the last time they had with the deceased. Well, the last time that the disciples would have with with Jesus was at the Last Supper. And it was at that supper they were eating together and Jesus says, someone's going to betray me. And everyone wanted to think, oh, it's not going to be me. Well, look what happens in John chapter 13, verse 27. When Judas had eaten the bread at supper, look what happened next. Satan entered into him. Remember, every time there's a suicide, many times there is a demonic presence involved in the person who takes their life. And so as we know, as we continue to read throughout the Scriptures, Judas ended up betraying Jesus over to the corrupt authorities of the day, and they, those authorities gave Jesus a death sentence. And look at how uh, uh, Judas responds to this in Matthew chapter 27. Look at verses 3 through 5. When Jesus, Judas, who, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. He even felt bad about it. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests because they'd paid him for, for his help in betraying Jesus. He took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I betrayed an innocent man. Well, what do we care? They retorted. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the 30 pieces of silver down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. Judas chose a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Now, here's the question that many have asked throughout the ages. Did Judas go to heaven or hell? And when you have that conversation theologically, you're going to go back inevitably to Matthew chapter 26, verse 24. Look what it says. For the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him, a.k.a. Judas. And look at this next phrase, this next sentence. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. And many people take that phrase, better for that man if he'd never been born, and say that means Judas went to hell. Other interpreters would say if you go back in the first century, it was a common phrase to say better if you were never born. And it means in common vernacular, it sucks to be you. 
In other words, your life is really bad right now. It doesn't speak to your eternity, but rather it speaks more to your current reality of how life is not going well. And I would agree with the latter interpretation of that phrase, but at the end of the day, I have to say, I don't know whether or not Judas went to heaven or hell. That's not for me to judge or say, but I do know this for certain, that as I read through the scriptures, it is clear that if you believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, you have an eternity in heaven with him in the afterlife. Thank God that our salvation is not based upon what we do or we're all screwed. I'm telling you that right now. If your salvation is based upon your performance, you're out. You don't have a chance. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we thank God that through Jesus Christ, he paid the penalty for our sin when he died on the cross, period. It doesn't matter whether you've committed adultery, whether you've committed suicide, or whether you text when you drive, okay? Um, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, your relationship with him, what some people call salvation, is secured for eternity. Now, I need to take a time out here for just a minute, and here's why. Because I know how the enemy works. And someone in your mind, you're thinking right now, well, did you hear that? Pastor Doug just saying that if you, even if you commit suicide, you can still go to heaven. So that's my ticket. I'll just make that decision. I'm saying no. You put that thought out of your head. I am not giving you permission to take your own life at all. You do not have the right to hand the burden of your pain over to your friends and family member who love you and care about you. And I want to ask you, beg you, and plead with you, if you have suicidal thoughts or feelings, call the suicide hotline. We'll put that number on our screen. We'll also post this later on today. But call this number anytime uh, you have those thoughts. So we've talked about Judas, but I want to talk about Peter for just a minute. He had the same advantages of uh, walking around with Jesus and seeing Jesus work on the earth. And also, at the Last Supper, when they were eating dinner together and Jesus said, someone's going to betray me, and Peter's like, Jesus, I am not going to betray you. I am loyal. I am faithful to you. I will die for you, Jesus. I will never betray you. And, and Jesus is like, dude, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny that you even know me. Peter's like, never. Well, what happened? When Jesus was handed over to the authorities, the disciples all ran like scared rabbits, Peter included. And when he was on the run, he was warming himself next to a fire with a group of other people. And a little girl accuses him of being associated with Jesus. And look at what Peter says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 74, Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed and suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. So he felt remorse. We've seen this before, hadn't we? Judas felt remorse for betraying the Lord Jesus. Peter felt remorse for betraying the Lord Jesus. So what is the difference? Why did they have a different outcome? Well, I want to show you the answer to that question in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Paul says, Their godly sorrow brings repentance. 
that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings what? Death. Repentance is the difference. Changing your mind and then changing your behavior towards God leads to the ways of life, the kingdom ways of life. And Peter may have had some kind of unmet need or wound in his life that contributed to his failure. When he said, I, I'll never deny you, Lord, he was confident. But now he finds himself in a situation where he's utterly broken. Can you imagine the guilt and shame you would feel from denying Jesus? And it's recorded in history so everyone will know throughout the ages. So will Peter choose a permanent solution to a temporary problem? No, he doesn't. History records Peter as the rock on which the church was built. And as Peter's heart was broken in repentance to change, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, now forgives him and restores him so that he can go, in Jesus' words, feed the sheep. Peter was restored so that he could go help others be restored. And as Jesus restores Peter, look at what he says to him in John 21, 18. See, the restoration was the good news, but the bad news is here in John 21. I tell you for certain that when you were a young man, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will hold out your hands and others will wrap your belt around you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to tell how Peter would die and bring honor to God. And some of you know if you read history, history records the apostle Peter died upside down, crucified on a cross because he didn't feel himself worthy to die in the manner in which his Lord had been killed. And here's a guy who at one point in his life denied Jesus to a group of people around a campfire. And when he was restored and when he had repented towards Jesus to give his life as a living sacrifice, he was willing to die upside down on a cross publicly in front of a crowd of people. That's the difference that repentance makes. And here's why Peter's story is significant to many in this room and to me personally. Because many of you can remember a time in your life, those of you that have followed Christ for many years, you had a choice to make when you were at the bottom. You were broken. You were hurt. You were in the dark night of the soul. And you thought about it, didn't you? You thought about taking your life, didn't you? And I've been there too. And like I've told you many times, there was a time some years ago when uh, I was out of the ministry, my spiritual life was in the toilet, and my marriage was almost done, and I felt no hope. And for some reason, God by His grace spoke to me that word from Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope, a hope. And I received that. I didn't see it, but I received it. You know what I mean by I didn't see it, but I received it? It's like when you can't see it happening, you're still in hopelessness. But by faith, you choose to receive a truth from God's word, even though it doesn't make sense, 
even though there's no scenario you see playing out where your life gets better, by faith, you latch on to the promise of God. And I'm here today enjoying worship with you, loving the greatest group of people in any church in the world, enjoying walks with my wife every night, walking hand in hand, enjoying my family and enjoying life because I had the capacity in those moments in the dark night of the soul to latch on to a promise from God. And so we're going to do three prayers right now. And the first one is what I call spiritual CPR. And here's how this works. You know, in CPR, when you don't have any breath yourself and someone else breathes into you, they give you CPR and save your life. Well, someone here right now has no breath for hope. Do you know that? Maybe sitting right next to you. Someone, you may be that person. You don't have any hope at all. You see no scenario where your life is going to work out a way that you would want it to. And here's what we want to do. The rest of us want to give you CPR right now. So here's how we're going to do it. If you have hope for someone here today who has no hope, if you have love for them, I want you to raise your hands. Just raise your hands. If you have hope for someone who has none, just keep them up, raise them up. If you have hope for someone that you will love them, you will care about them, and you will breathe life into them when called upon to do so, keep those hands up. Now, if you have no hope right now, I want you to look around this room. Just look around. Everybody just look around as these hands are up. And I want you to see that there are other people all around you who have hope for you, who have love for you and support you. Now, the choice is, will you receive that hope and that love? Let's say the CPR prayer as we put our hands down now, as we lower our heads and close our eyes. If you feel like you want to take your own life, I want you to pray something like this, just between you and God. God, I allow you to breathe hope into my life. And I thank you for all the people around me who just raised their hands that they love me and have hope for me. And God, I choose to receive the plan you have for me that I can't even imagine. Because I know your word declares that you have a plan to prosper me, not to harm me, to give me a hope and a future. And the best I know how, I receive that hope and that future now. If you just prayed that and you've been thinking about taking your life, would you just peek up at me real quick? Nobody else, but just a few of you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you had the faith to just pray that just now. Father, thank you. Thank you so much that you're breathing life into people all over this room. Now, as we continue with our heads bowed and eyes closed, there are some of you that have had family members that you've lost, perhaps even to suicide, and it still hurts. I want you to pray a prayer now just in your own heart between you and God. Something like this, Lord, at the moment, nothing seems to be able to help the loss that I feel. My heart is broken, my spirit mourns, and I'm a wreck. All I know is that your grace is sufficient. This day, this hour, this moment, moment by moment, I choose to lean on you, Jesus. For when I'm at my weakest, 
your strength is strongest. I pour out my grief to you and praise you that one glorious day all of this suffering will end. Thank you. The last prayer we're going to pray is for those who earlier when you heard me say that suicide wouldn't end suffering but might begin an eternity of suffering without Christ. And you thought to yourself, hey, I, I don't know that I, where I'd spend my eternity, but I'd like to spend it with God. Well, you can simply pray and believe and choose in your heart to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. And you can do that right now. There's no better time. So your prayer just silently in your own heart between you and God is something like this. God, I know I've sinned. I have screwed up royally. But the best I can get it in my head, I'm choosing to believe that Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he was my substitute there. He took the punishment that I deserve for my sin. And God, I welcome you into my life. Father, thank you for all three of these prayers that you've actually literally save some people's lives today by your spirit. And I just pray life all over them. Thank you that the enemy's plan has been thwarted and that your plan to give satisfying life is being unleashed in people today. Thank you that you're healing people who have dealt with the pain of losing someone to suicide. And most of all, thank you that new children have been born into the kingdom of God today through prayer. We thank you for all you're doing in our lives and our church, and we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.